Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you today for Brian. Thank you for your wisdom that you will reveal through him today. Lord, we pray that you will prepare our hearts to hear his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good to see you all. Are you all right? You sure? You just want to sleep, do you? And the clock changes next month as well, so that's an hard day of sleep. But there we are, the weather will be better. Um, yes, good. It's, it's hard to believe that it was a month since I was last here. It doesn't seem that long. Um, I got this. Paul is great. You know, he, he keeps us informed what happens, and he says, well, we've been through the... Sent me an email today, or this week, saying we've been through this for a month, and we're back to the start again. I almost sense the exasperation <laughs> in the, the text. Um, thanks for the welcome again, and for explaining my sermon through the window. That's that one gone. Um, <laughs> only joking, only joking. Um, whenever, those of us who are drivers... Um, we know that, and even if we're not a driver, we'll know this, that there's a, a driver's mirror that sits in the top center of the car, and there's the bigger windscreen. And we need to use both of those for driving. We look at the driving mirror to have a quick glance back, and I always remember doing my driving test, I told, even if you don't feel you want to, keep looking at that for two seconds every now and then. Um, but the point of that is to look back to see what's coming up behind you. And then there's the bigger windscreen uh, where you see much more and you can see not only the road in front but everything else on either side of it. You get a much better context. And when you think about it, there's a very good reason that the mirror is very small and that the windscreen is big. You don't want to be constantly looking through the wing mirror, but it's important that you do to see what's going on coming up behind you. If you're driving down the motorway and you want to go to the next lane, it's a silly driver that would just go out into the next lane, although there are some around, without checking uh, what's going on behind and what's coming up. You need to glance in the back to see the context behind you. And you only do that for seconds, but you need to keep looking in front of you because the road will change direction in front of you and you need to see that coming so you know how to change the, the driving wheel so that you keep in the road and you keep safe. So the wing mirror is only for a couple of seconds, and the, the windscreen is where it, it occupies most of your thought. And that's just practical and probably didn't even need to be said. But that's important. The other thing I want to say, just to introduce this subject, the transfiguration, is about memories. Memory is important. And it's very difficult when the memory goes. I'm at the stage now where I realize my um, short-term memory is getting more difficult to recapture. There are names that someone might say to me, and I'll forget them within a few seconds. Um, I can remember things in the past much better than things that have just happened for some reason. Uh, that's just what happens seemingly as we get older. But memories are important. 
memories, like a couple of times, we've, since I was last with you, um, my wife, my daughter, and myself went on holiday, which was great and loved it. Um, it was good fun. And we were on a plane, uh, and we were chatting on the plane about other holidays that we've taken and memories that we had of those holidays, some um, where we were going this time around. And it was lovely to remember various restaurants or experiences or funny things that happened. Um, we tried to stay clear of the things that weren't that great. Um, but we enjoyed going through those memories. But we were, I'm saying that I'm looking forward to going to a particular restaurant that we particularly enjoyed. Um, but what I was looking forward to was going to get new experiences, to do things that we hadn't done before, to experience something of the area that we hadn't got to look at uh, in past trips. So memories are really good, and you can have a lot of fun about memories. They're important to hang on to memories. But the problem is, with the rearview mirror, as well as memories, is that sometimes the temptation is to let the past be what we compare everything to. And that's dangerous, and it's difficult. It would be dangerous if we constantly drove forward while looking back. That's not real, it's not practical, and it's certainly not safe. We cannot do that. And the same with memories. If we only try to recreate in the future what a memory of the past was, we'll probably be frustrated because we've changed as people. The things that we like doing or the things that have happened uh, before will never really recreate that experience, that emotion, that feel. In faith and in church life, it has been the case, I think, now and then, that we live in the rearview mirror. We can look at things that have happened in the past and almost we try to recreate the past in the present. Whenever we realize that we are part of, for instance, Beaver Parish now, the danger is that we want to recreate the good days of the past. That's not helpful. It's not what I think the church is called to be. And it's often said that the church is scratching where people used to itch. But they're now itching in a different place, but we're still given the answers that we gave in the past. And we're dealing with stuff that isn't really going on in people's minds. Those who have been part of church might recognize that. But how do we introduce and relate to people that church practice has not been part of their identity? How do we relate to them in the here and now dealing with stuff in the past? At the moment, your nominators and, and others are looking for who will be your new rector. If they only look, how can we get someone who will be the kind of person that we have had in the past? That's not going to work. And what is important is that we look and hear and listen 
and be expectant to hear what is God saying to us now? He may have said stuff in the past that was really appropriate and good, but what about now? What is happening now? What do we need for our future from this starting point? Not the starting point that has been in the past, but who is going to lead us into the future? I was at, uh, along with Charlene and, and Anna, we were at my, one of my grandson's birthday party yesterday. Um, it was very nice for him to invite us. Um, he's five. And um, what Ruth and Nathan do is they, they're very good at taking photographs, um, as we were for our first two kids. And then with very little for, of the third one uh, that she keeps reminding us of. Maybe that just happens. Um, but um, uh, Josiah was eight uh, a few weeks ago, and he had eight photographs up on a, a kind of streamer thing across the wall uh, of past photographs on his birthday. And it was lovely to see uh, what he's like as a one-year-old compared to what he's like as an eight-year-old. Just lovely to trace that change and growth. Uh, Ezra, who was five yesterday, uh, they did the same. And obviously, the, the kind of change hasn't reached eight yet. But wouldn't be really sad if the year one birthday photograph was the same in year two and in year three and four and five. That was just the same photograph. And I often wonder um, in churches if we could do the same every year we have a photograph. What would it look like? Or if we had a video of the service from 10 years ago to now, what would it be like if we were to watch a whole thing? Or what would it be like in the discussion in, in life groups or home groups? Or if we could even um, picture our own individual spiritual lives from a number of years ago, every year to now, what would it look like? Would it be the same? Or would there be a difference? Could you see the change in this snapshot of where we're at? Why do I say all of that? Well, I think there's something in the theme of today that uh, just helps us by thinking of those things to help us understand the significance of the transfiguration. Uh, as you know from, from Mark, from what I said about the Gospels last time round, uh, Mark's Gospel is the shortest one, and his account of the transfiguration is the shortest account, and then you have Matthew and Luke who include it, and they're very similar. John, even though he was there, John doesn't even mention the transfiguration in his gospel. We're going to read um, Matthew's account. Um, for some reason, I thought it was Mark's account, but it's Matthew's account, which is fine. Um, so we're going to read Matthew's account. I don't know, does it appear in this? It does indeed. And this is uh, how it reads. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, 
I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. It's always interesting to read the Gospels, not just the passages that we're looking at, but to have a look at the chapter before and the chapter after. And um, in Mark's Gospel, in terms of the account um, that he has the transfiguration, it's quite interesting to see what happened beforehand. There were really significant moments in the Gospel story in Mark's Gospel. Um, We have that real decisive moment that came right in the middle of Mark's gospel, halfway through it, where um, Jesus asked the question, tell me this, who are people chatting about? You know, as the guys were walking through the towns and villages and countryside of where they, they walked and visited, I'm sure they chatted about a whole lot of things. Some things meaningful, some things just trite, and things that men normally talk about, insignificant trite things. And you get... Um, Jesus may turn and say, tell me this, you hear the gossip from me. What are people saying about me? And some said, oh, it's amazing what some people think about you, who you are and what you're doing. And then Jesus said, but tell me this, what do you think about me? And again, there were some answers. And then Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he got a spot on, which Peter didn't always get when he, he spoke. He was normally the first to speak, but didn't get things right all the time. And Jesus says, well done. What you've just said is correct. And you are, and what you said, you're going to be really significant in the life of the church from here on in. Because of what you just said. And you can imagine Peter getting all um, proud of himself and looking around the other disciples from a height. And uh, just being very smug with getting that kind of acknowledgement from Jesus. And again, as Peter often did, um, he then tried to go a little bit too far. And Jesus had said, Peter, what you just said is wrong. Something else that he'd said, um, the devil has taken hold of me. It's nonsense. And then Jesus has the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And then when they came down the mountain, they went into a bit of a a, a hassle. The other disciples were there in town, waiting for Jesus and the disciples to return. And there's a big group around them. And there was a man that came uh, with his son and said, what's the problem? Jesus said, what's the problem? He says, I brought my son who's had a... um, 
who's had uh, an evil spirit in him from birth, and I came to get it healed. And you're, you're uh, apprentices. Your disciples could do nothing. They couldn't deal with him at all. And Jesus got a bit frustrated, which is really refreshing to hear that even though we're told that and know that Jesus was perfect, he never sinned, he was able to get annoyed and frustrated without sinning. And he came, had come down from something we were looking at in a minute, and he got frustrated with the disciples. He says, oh, how long is this going to go on? How long do I have to spend teaching you, and yet so often you don't act on what you've been taught? And he said the same to the dad. How long do I have to put up with you not walking into the promise and faith lifestyle that I've taught you that you can have? And in the middle of those two things, we have the transfiguration. As the window depicts, there's five or four went up the mountain. Jesus and his three best buddies, Peter, James, and John. And when they were there, something happened. They saw Jesus change. Now, when you read theologians who talk about this, you get all sorts of theories depending on the mindset of the theologian about what actually happened. But the word that was used is a, a Greek word that is the same kind of word that leads to our word of metamorphosis. And what the change that happened with Jesus was that metamorphic change. It wasn't that the sun just came at the right angle to shine on Jesus and he looked different. No, it was much more than that. It was a complete change from inside out. It's a bit like the same word that's used when a butterfly um, comes out of the chrysalis. That little worm slug thing that gets um, surrounded by the chrysalis after a time is transfigured into this amazing, beautiful, delicate butterfly. And it's that same word that Jesus, whatever happened that transfiguration, it was that kind of change that Peter, James, and John experienced. And they were first terrified, and then not only had Jesus changed, but there's these two other boys that appeared beside him. As rightly said earlier, there was Moses, and there was Elijah. And again, theologians looking at it don't really know why these two there's various theories. Is it because out of everybody that there was mentioned in the Bible, the similarity with Moses and Elijah is that their deaths were different. Moses were told that whenever he died, God himself buried Moses. And Elijah didn't die. Elijah's the only other man uh, to Jesus that whenever he left this earth, he didn't do it through his body dying, but he was raised to heaven through the clouds. So there was there a significance with that? More commonly, people think that the significance of Moses was that Moses was the man in the Old Testament that uh, God chose to give the commandments to. And Moses had gone up a mountain, very similar, and while up the mountain, God appeared to him 
and he received the commandments, the law of how people should live. Elijah was the great one who was a prophet. There are loads of prophets, but Elijah in Scripture is a really significant prophet. So you had the great founder of the law, and you had the great founder of the prophets, and those two are held within Jewish faith as the most significant people. The law is so important to Jewish faith. There are rules. You know, and even though there are only 10 commandments, within the Old Testament, there's another just under 2,000 rules explaining the 10 commandments that Jews have to keep if they are to be pleasing to God in their understanding. Once they break those rules, they have to go through all sorts of things to get back into God's good books. The law is condemning. The law is there to catch people out where they have failed and they need punished to try to earn their way back into God's good books. Then there was the prophets, Elijah and all the others, who spoke God's word. And sometimes when you look at the prophecies that are given or the words of the prophets, sometimes they're, they're mad. They're difficult. They seem totally out of touch with what life is really like. But that is what um, the Jews of Jesus' day and even now follow. They look at what the law says and they look at what the, the limited word of God that comes through the prophets. Anything outside of that is not relevant. So it is in that context with Jesus being transfigured before Peter, James, and John and these two arrive with Jesus that the transfiguration happens. And then the words that were spoken by God the Father. A big cloud and you just imagine it's a booming voice but remember that Elijah heard God's voice in silence and we whisper. Um, but on this occasion, you just imagine us booming. I said, this, this is Jesus. And he's my son. I love him. Listen to him. And it's almost as if in that moment, God was saying, up to now you've listened to the law. And up to now, you've listened to the prophecies and the prophets' words that have been given. And that's been good. I gave them the words of prophecy, and I gave Moses the commands, and that's great. But now, this is my son. More important, more significant than anybody else. And now, I want you to listen to him what he is saying. Listen to Jesus. And Peter being the guy who speaks before his brain starts to work, he reverted right back to the kind of practice that Old Testament Judaism would do. Jesus, we need to do something. Let me build a kind of memorial, a sort of wee ad hoc building. I'll build three of them, one for for you and one for Elijah and one for Moses. And it's as if Peter needed to hear again what God the Father said. No, Peter. From now on, 
Listen to Jesus. And at this point, he hadn't said all the things that he was going to say. But Peter wanted to keep that experience the same. He wanted to build something that would mark the spot where this transfiguration happened, and Peter missed the mark. He didn't fully understand what that moment was saying. And then they went down the mountain to that situation that I mentioned earlier. Just a wee snapshot into something that was so amazingly different from most experiences. When I was on holiday, uh, there's a church that, that we've been looking at called Northland Church. Um, and I, I, find, I find it been really helpful over the last while, um, as well as looking at this service online every week, which I do. Um, and Northland, we were able to visit Northland when we were on holiday. Um, I don't know, does that mean know the Gaither band, vocal band, or Gaither people? Some of you might do. Well, Marsh Hall, who was one of the Gaither bands, he's a worship leader. He's a worship leader in this place. Um, and it was lovely to go there and to just experience what we'd only seen on TV face to face. And um, the Pastor Josh, um, brilliant teacher, but he says, I, my role here is to preach, is to teach and preach. And says, I've been teaching up to now explaining the Bible, explaining stories, explaining what happened and a little bit of the background and context of everything. And now I'm going to preach. And preaching, he says, is making sense of what I've just taught and trying to help us see how can we work out those things in our lives day by day. So I've done the teaching bit. I've explained uh, a bit of the transfiguration. And now I just want to preach a little bit. And it will be just a little bit. Because there's no point in just filling our heads with knowledge. It doesn't achieve that much. I, I, I know someone um, who would always say, oh, I love going to this Bible study group because it's so deep. The teaching is so deep. And, every, and I'd love to speak sometime or go to them and say, what is so deep about it? Sometimes you go some, so deep that you can't see any sunlight at all. You know, it can be like that. And, and sometimes our head knowledge of the transfiguration uh, leaves us confused what was really happening here. But I don't think really we should be that concerned about uh, the change, the light, all of those kind of things. That's just a context of what was really important. And the really important bit of the context of the transfiguration is God's words. This is my son who I love, listen to him. Simple. And sometimes we, we spend so long thinking about things that in the end of the day don't matter, and we miss the true point. And in this story, I think there's a message for two groups of people. And they're all sitting here. There are individuals, you and me, and there's also, I think, a message for congregations for groups. Individuals. If you were to look back over your life, your spiritual life, I wonder how you would see the progress. 
I remember of college, we had a quiet day where we had to um, go off and do various things. It was all in silence. Um, and part of the activity was to draw a picture of our lives. It didn't need to make sense to any other, anybody else, but it had to make sense to us as, as, just as an exercise of looking back and to see what are the significant moments in our lives. I find it really helpful to do it at that stage, and, and now and then I would do it again, just to learn to reflect. Do we glance in the rearview mirror? And to see the significant moments, and it's interesting because as I look back, the significant moment that I thought was the significant moment wasn't actually the significant moment. That happened maybe a couple of months later. Um, but to look back and to see what kind of people have we grown into and why. And also spiritually to look back and think, what has my life as a Christian been like? If it was in a graph kind of picture, would it just be like that? Or would we see moments where we learned a lot and our understanding of things uh, took a rise? Have we plummeted for a while? And why did we plummet there? What was going on in our lives and so on? So it's a good thing to look back in order just to monitor our growth. But there's some people whose spiritual lives have just been like that. There's been no real dip. There's been no real growth or change. It's just been like a flat line. And we look back sometimes um, on our spiritual life that it started the moment that we can say we became a Christian. Um, and that's the way it's been. We have kept the rules. We come to church every Sunday. We read the Bible every night before we go to bed. We might kneel down at our bedside and pray before we sleep and wake up 10 minutes later having fallen asleep. Maybe that's just me. But our, our Christian experience has just been the same routine without any change. And as I said earlier, sometimes as a congregation, we can have the same kind of picture. We're just comfortable doing the things that we always do. Don't dare introduce a new song. Or don't ask me to stand up and greet someone. And certainly don't say, speak to someone that you haven't spoken to before. Don't do that. And we can get uncomfortable if we're being encouraged to do something different. And Jesus in this transfiguration was told, or through Jesus, or the cloud, I mean, uh, God said, okay, in the past you've had the prophets, and in the past you've had the, the um, prophecy, but now, listen to what Jesus is saying now. And of course, if we want to listen to Jesus, we need to learn intentionally try to hear him. Expect Jesus to say something new and fresh into our lives. So if you feel that your life has not changed much as a Christian over the years, maybe it's because we're out of the habit of listening to what Jesus says now. We think it's just going to be the same. And as a congregation, 
What is it that Jesus is saying to us as a church now? When we went to Northland um, in Orlando, there in the middle of a series that finishes today, so we'll be able to hear the last bit of it today, um, we're there looking again, as they do every couple of years, at what their vision of church is. And they have the four C's that they've been looking at one every week. And their four C's are connect, connect, (laughs) something, care, and connect, something, care, and commitment or compliance, Um, trying to work out what is Jesus saying to them now and for the next while as they work out what church is for. And you've got an an amazing time in the moment as the nominators are looking, as I say, for who your next leader will be. Um, What is Jesus saying to the congregation in Beaver now? You don't need to wait for a new leader to come and do that. You can do that now. What is going to help you as a congregation minister to to an estate and a world out there? That is not the same as five years ago or ten years ago. But what is Jesus saying to you about how he wants you to relate to that society? How can you represent him now to what's going on around you? Because it's always changing. Sometimes far too fast. But have we as a church been guilty of scratching where people are not itching anymore? So do pray for the nominators and pray for yourselves as a church as you try to listen to what Jesus is saying now. I'm going to finish and I want to pray. But when I was thinking about today, um, I felt that um, there was one or maybe more people here who have felt really frustrated that they can't recognize much growth spiritually in your lives of recent times. And um, if that that bounces off you, um, well then maybe during this prayer, you may just want to say, God, that's me. I, I, can't, I can't recognize much growth, but I want to. Uh, and just bear that in mind as the prayers are finished. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for that beautiful picture in the Old Testament for your people as they wandered around the wilderness. They couldn't store up any food or resources because they had to move and walk all the time. But you said that you'd provide for now, for this day. And every day you provided manna. And for those who thought, let's, let's just store it all up, gather it all in more than we need today so that we can enjoy it tomorrow and we don't need to worry of it not coming. And um, that didn't work because it rotted after a few hours. <laughs> 
but your promise was true that every day you provided that need. Lord, all of us at times feel that we have to look back to an experience of being alive in you and there hasn't been much sense. Lord, I pray that for those people who really feel that describes their spiritual life, that you would just touch them in a way today that lets them see that you're willing, so willing, to do something new and fresh and encouraging, to release from mistakes or sin and not hold them to that being their identity forevermore. But fresh and new are your blessings every day. Encourage and affirm those who are downhearted today. And I pray for the congregation again. Lord, that, that you would say and let them hear you say that you know the plans that you have for this place. And your plans are for growth, for blessing, for people to come to faith because of the ministry and outreach of the people of Beaver. That not only do you want to bless the people of Beaver Church, but you want to bless others through Beaver Church. And especially we pray for the nominators, that you would help them listen to what you are saying. Thank you for the gift of memory. And as we share in communion shortly, may that maybe be a time that we can say, God, I thank you for the memory of this meal. But may this be the place that I start once again of wanting to hear your fresh voice in our lives. Amen. Um, I know there are people here that, that can pray for you and with you. And I'd encourage you um, that if, if any time, not just today, but any time you sense the Lord is saying something to you, that you seek out someone um, and just ask them to pray for you, simply. Um, uh, I'll be here afterwards, and if you, you would find that helpful, I'm, I'd be delighted to pray with you just before we go.